The Start On Demand. On demand. Today is the day the NFL has invaded Winnipeg, and we will speak to a Winnipeg man, a huge football fan, huge Packers fan, who is getting ready to throw a legendary tailgate party. He is pumped. We're also going to talk daycare, which has a lot of Manitobans not pumped. Many struggles with the system. Experts say it needs to be improved. And we'll talk about back-to-school lunches. First, we'll discuss your least favorite school lunches from when you were a kid. And we'll talk to a chef who will offer some tips on how you can turn dinner into leftovers for lunch for your kids. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, August 22nd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, your morning show right here, as Jeff pointed out, in Winnipeg, Alberta. Yeah! <laughs> we got to wear my cowboy hat this morning. Yes. Maybe should have done that. Okay, yeah, I drove so my close. I drove my pickup truck with a large uh, skull on the the oh, hood. Geez. You know those skull ornaments. And, uh, you know, something, uh, a couple of swinging, a pair of swinging things from the, the back of Are the truck. Are we going to turn this into oh slamming Alberta we're now? Really, we're really Alberta stereotyping the Albertans. Here. Yeah, leave them out of this fight, man. I'm, I'm just going off of uh, one of our colleagues in the building is from Alberta. And uh, those are the stereotypes that she likes to, to talk enough. about. So, no, I, I've only been to Alberta three times. Uh, Edmonton once, Calgary twice. Or thrice, I think, Calgary. And uh, I loved it there. So, yeah, nothing wrong with that. It was a nice T-shirt, too. A great skyline. It is it is actually Winnipeg skyline. It says Winnipeg. So two out of three is not bad, McNabb. No, I think, you know, when I saw it, uh, the NFL, I'm sorry, and I've forgotten his name because this is how much I know about AJ the AJ Cole. Thank you. AJ's photo. I actually thought it was a great shirt until I zoomed in, and I was like, oh, that's so too bad. Did we get that from Amazon? Is that a is that a knockoff from overseas? Like what what happened there? Yeah, no, that's what happened. It's a knockoff from overseas. You can't even buy it in Canada. It's only available in the states. It's all good, man. And then Cole apologizes, and he and he of course does it quite funny. He goes, "Apologies to the citizens of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Just a kid from Atlanta, Florida, playing football." <laughs> In Oakland, Nevada, with a low geography IQ. So Beautiful. And I tweeted to him. I said, hey, AJ, you did not make the T-shirt. You did not sell the T-shirt. You just wanted to wear it yeah. as a sign of goodwill. Uh, welcome to Winnipeg. So I love the Blue Bombers. They also tweeted out, we have a welcome gift for, y- for you. We didn't want to ruin the surprise, but it's T-shirts. A whole lot of new T-shirts. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, way to, like, there's a way to have fun with that. And I do appreciate the effort to come here. And have a couple of them, you know, one of them was wearing a Winnipeg Jets t-shirt. Another obviously went out to find a Winnipeg shirt. Like, you got the geography wrong, but you're close. So we'll talk lots about the NFL this morning here on 680 CJOB. And uh, including something having to do with Portage in Maine. We'll touch on that in our next segment. And we also have tickets to give away for the game tonight. We're going to give away a a pair of tickets 
on the show at 7.07. And then you can still get in on yesterday's Instagram post to win tickets on Instagram. You have to make sure that you follow 680CJOB on Instagram. And we've just posted a fresh post with an opportunity to win another pair of tickets there. And uh, that contest will close at noon so that you have time to get down here by 4 o'clock. So you're saying within the next hour, conceivably, you could be in on three pairs of tickets. Yeah, you could be up for, you could try to get, I mean, you can't win all three. No, of course, but you could be in on uh, on three sets of tickets. That's right. So make sure you follow us on Instagram, uh, 680CJOB. And at 637, we have Hot Wheels Monster Truck live tickets up for grabs. But we're also going to talk this morning about back to school and the joy of making lunch. Ugh. I like to think I'm. <laughs> just you know, love the disgust. Well, it's just that I I can't be alone. I know I'm not alone in saying that when June rolled around, you just have basically given up. Like you're just sending your kid to school with like an unopened box of spaghetti and a can and a can opener, and you're just like, deal with this yourself, man. Like I am so done right now. I had a friend actually like share some pictures on Facebook near the end of the year, and she was on a school field trip, and she was laughing so hard that the lunches moms and dads had sent their kids with, like one showed up with just a bag of Doritos. <laughs> that was it because it's like you give up you're tired after 10 months of making lunches but we're back in it so we want to talk a little bit later in the show after nine about some good ideas you know turning your dinner your leftovers into good back to school lunches or good lunches and then also we're going to have coffee and talk at six forty-five about I've got some pretty good memories of some pretty bad lunches when I'm young when I was young and good memories fall- of bad lunches Good memories because it's one of the funny. It's the it's the thing our family still laughs about in terms of like. I think my mom also got to a certain point in the year where she would just give up, and I get it. And that's when you basically start making your own lunch, and you realize how that sucks too. I like uh, peanut butter in my lunch, and can't I do guess, it anymore. I know, not an option, man. Yeah, I can't. I don't know what life would have been like as a child without my peanut butter sandwich for lunch. It would have been just two pieces of bread. Brett, that's what it would have been. Pretty much. Some margarine. (laughs) I guess I could have put some jam on there. Jam is allowed. But uh, Sugar sandwich. Mm. A sugar sugar sandwich. Oh, with real butter and just sprinkle sugar on top. Oh, my gosh. Is this a real recipe? Like a real thing? It was a real thing for me and my brother, Kevin. I'll tell you that. Wasn't that... uh, Breakfast Club, you were just talking the other day, Greg, about Ali Sheedy. That's right. She did make a sugar sandwich. And but I think she also put some Fruit Loops and some other cereal in that sandwich as well. But yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll talk about that at 645. And as well, we're going to touch on daycare, Loren. Yeah. I, and if, you had, if you're still looking for spots for your kids for this year, you're in trouble because they are few and far between. There's 16,000, 16,000 kids on, la- on the wait list for licensed spots in this province. I put my kids on that right after my first one was born eight years ago. And I think I got one call about five years later. And it's just the wait, the wait to get into a, a good facility, the search for any sort of childcare for your kid, the cost. We're going to kind of run, unwrap all of that. And then also talk about what the leaders of the three political parties are promising. Because every year, every election year, rather, this comes up as a topic. And it seems we're still struggling to fix the issue of enough spots, finding the right spots, the costs, and all the rest. 
Okay, and on the subject of politics, we've got to point out as well the Decision 2019 Leaders Debate, which is going to air live on August 28th. Global Winnipeg is hosting a Leaders Debate for the upcoming provincial election as part of a broadcaster's consortium with CBC and CTV. The Manitoba Leaders Debate, which airs August 28th from 6.10 to 7 p.m., will include Brian Pallister, Wab Canoe, Dougal Lamont, and James Bedham. Journalists from all three networks, including 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier, will be putting questions to the party leaders this debate will run commercial free on global winnipeg so again that's august 28th 6 10 to 7 p.m mackling mcgarry and mcnab in our next segment we are going to talk about your school lunch as we get ready to go back to school what was your most hated lunch when you were a kid or perhaps your favorite you know what was your favorite lunch day mm. I, th- I there was a day that actually now that i think of it I, my favorite day was Xian show day i'll explain what that means oh. in our next segment and also we have nfl tickets to give away at 707 and before that we're going to give away hot wheels monster trucks live tickets at the end of this segment because we want to start this segment loren at the daycare and when it comes to finding daycare for your kids most parents like to think they have a choice that they will find the right spot for their children good staff great facility close to home but i think many of us can agree that it doesn't always come down to finding the right spot at all but just finding a spot period. Jody Kell is the executive director for the Manitoba Child Care Association and says the most recent numbers show there are 16,000 Manitoba kids on a wait list for licensed child care spots. Well, I think that what we're hearing is just that the wait lists are long, that they sometimes are choosing programs that maybe are not geographically convenient for them, but if there's a space available and it means they have to now drive half an hour to drop their child off at a program and then go to work, that's what they're doing. So the, the choices are limited, and so families are having to make choices, if they can at all, even find a space based on what's available. That's the story Winnipegger Allison Anderson is living right now. She's the mom of two young boys, and one of them has lives with special needs, which means she has to find a daycare that has staff trained for their situation. He's uh, been diagnosed with ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder. So he was doctor-prescribed daycare when he was five years old, actually probably four years old, um, so there was no reason for me to be a stay-at-home mom because he had to go get socialized in daycare anyways. So it's been a struggle. At first it was okay, we lived in a small community and there was only one option for childcare. We got him in there. Um, moving down to Lactabani, he had daycare, but ever since then it's been a challenge every, every summer basically. So he's in a before and after school daycare with the school but the school's closed in the summer and he is bouncing around every year, every spring break, every Christmas break. He's, I didn't find anything this year. Um, previous years I've had to travel from North Kildonan all the way to Pemina and McGillivray for childcare. So that added actually three hours to my commute every day. So in case you didn't catch that, Allison was commuting three hours a day, 90 minutes in the morning by car and then by bus, then 90 minutes in the afternoon just to get her kids into daycare. This summer, she didn't have any day- daycare at all and had to rely on family and friends. And I think a lot of us end up doing that, that patchwork system in the summer, Greg. I've done mm-hmm. the same this year. I know you do your best to do the same. And it's not just about space or daycares. There's also 
um, the issue of cost. So we know when it comes to space, the the Manitoba government over the past five or six years, and that's with the NDP and now with the Conservatives, have a new program in place so that if you build a new school in this province, any new school going up must have a daycare attached to it. So that's helped and it's also made things a little more convenient, but that's only if you're in a neighbourhood with a new school and we hear stories all the time of those new schools then uh, filling that to capacity right away and, and daycare is still an issue if you're in that neighborhood. So there's the space issue and then there's a cost. Winnipeggers pay an average monthly daycare fee of $4.51 per child, $451 per month per child. That's an average. Personally, we've struggled in the past in our family to find daycare spots and we've spent more than $600 per month per kid uh, in recent years. And and so that's even more than the average, obviously. And while we're still lower than other cities, okay, so the average is 451 here, monthly costs in Edmonton per child are 835, almost double. Advocates say we need to watch daycare rates carefully. One of the issues and what we've talked to the government about recognizing and looking at is the subsidy eligibility. So there's less and less families that are actually eligible for subsidized childcare. Less than 20% of all subsidized or of all the spaces that are being used by children are for subsidized care. And so although we have the second lowest childcare fees in, in the country, could we look at a subsidy system that really looks at what families' gross incomes are. And so one of the recommendations is there no family should be paying more than 10% of their gross income towards childcare. And so there's still room for improvement with that. That was Jody Kell once again with the Manitoba Child Care Association. And she says it's not just about keeping costs low for parents, but increasing salaries for staff. She says operating grants for daycares have been frozen for almost four years. The biggest issue clearly is that it's been nearly four years since we've had any operating grant, operating revenue increase to the programs. And so four years with no new revenue has become significantly challenging for, for programs. Probably the biggest challenge is that they're unable to attract and retain staff. So they're not able to offer the salaries that perhaps other sectors are offering. Often the starting wage for a trained early childhood educator is $15.50. And so if we know that minimum wage is going up to $11.65 this fall, you know, there's not a lot of difference. The, the gap between those two salaries is getting closer and closer. And so there's not a lot of incentive for individuals to go into early learning and childcare. And now the struggle for centers to hire well-skilled, trained individuals is becoming more and more difficult. And we know that quality is absolutely dependent on a, a workforce that is well-skilled and adequately remunerated. Loren, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's not my job to raise your kids and why shouldn't we be subsidizing this as a society? Well, (laughs) hey, uh, everything is predicated, the cost of housing, uh, the cost of just about everything predicated on the fact that most people have two incomes in their household when they have kids, not everyone, which makes it a huge challenge for those that are single income earners with kids at home. And, And it's just become kind of a little bit of a death spiral for some people in terms of trying to keep up and and to justify working in the first place. It, it makes it very tough. Well, there's all sorts of people that choose not to work for the first few years of having kids because when they do the math, it just doesn't make sense to go to work to pay someone else to watch your kids and maybe come out ahead just a few thousand dollars in that year. And so that's a big conversation in many homes. When it comes to subs- subsidies, 
Those right now usually are only offered for certain people in lower income brackets. And even then, uh, you're still paying out of pocket for a lot of that care. So it's not about giving free care to everyone. And then there's the conversation, I think, and we're going to have this later on in the show uh, at 9.35. We're going to talk about this throughout the day, the, the idea of the investment that you're putting in to the next generation. So whether you have kids or not, what sort of investment do we want to be making in the next generation when when we talk about the, these most formative years. And the thing that really stood out for me this morning, and everyone needs to stop and think about it, you pay a lot for daycare, and, and I get that. But they're doing this most crucial job with your children, mm-hmm. eight hours a day, nine hours a day, and they're making $15 an hour. You know, when, when I hire a babysitter to say go out at night, it might be 10 or $11 an hour. That's the going rate in my community. And my expectation is that they just make sure they go to bed and keep them alive, basically. <laughs> you drop them off at daycare, you have a bigger expectation. That you want them to be learning things and growing and learning good behaviors and maybe even ABCs or songs or different languages. And you're still asking them to do all that for 15 bucks an hour. That's one heck of a hard job. Yeah, $15? That's... You have to go to school for that too, right? Right. I mean, you don't just typically walk in to a daycare center and just get a job because you want to work with kids. There's all sorts of things that have to go into that. Uh, I know we're going to talk about this later, but I want to read this text message before we break, Loren. How about government stop taxing us to death so that mothers can afford to stay at home with their children where they probably would like to be and should be and won't need so many daycares? That's part of the equation without doubt. We'll have more uh, on this. Hang on. Sorry. Mothers can where they sh- would like to be and should be. No. Easy. Easy. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the bomb to, to go off. Like I, I'm picturing what's the, the internals of Loren's head right now. Is there smoke perhaps uh, about to come out of the ears, Loren? Well, there's a good part of the conversation there is about taxing and, and you know, where your, where your money is going and where that money is what the, what investments are being made with those tax dollars. So I appreciate that part of the argument, but we don't need to go back to a time where we say, well, the problem is that there are two people working in every family and the mom needs to stay home. Right. That, so I don't that, think it's about need. I think it's about option is what that person was saying. I don't think anybody, I don't think the intention was to say where women ought to be at home with the children or the father, that one parent has the option to be at home raising their kids as opposed to somebody else raising them. I, I think that's the point there, That not the not the, the one word that, that got your uh, heckle, heckles up there, McNabb. Agree to disagree, Greg. If you're a parent of young kids, kids and you're off to work this morning, odds are you just drop them off at daycare with a friend or a family member. Many of us, particularly in the summer, I think cobble together childcare options, but hope for more routine for the rest of the year, at least for the school year. The challenge isn't just finding the right daycare spot for your kids, though. It sometimes can just be finding a spot, a daycare place, period. It's a huge issue for many moms and dads. It's been a conversation in our house for years. And Global's Amber McGookin has been looking into the costs and the weights and the concerns for so many parents and joins us now. Good morning, Amber. Good morning, guys. Let's start with the wait list and some of the concerns you've heard from parents in your conversations with them over the past few days, Amber. Right. So the most up-to-date numbers that we could get were from 2018, but that says there's over 16,000 kids in Manitoba waiting for a daycare spot. So there's quite a few people looking for those spots. And one woman I spoke to had the same concerns you did, Loren, about those summer months when, you know, you might have that regular before and after school care during the school year, but that shuts down in the summer. And um, I spoke to her and about her story and, and she had to like max out her vacation time in the summer to 
to get that daycare time covered, but even still, she wasn't able to cover all the summer months. So it can be really difficult for parents who, who, you know, work and have to work, but if they have to max out their vacation time just to cover those breaks for the school year, it can be very difficult. And if you have a home-based daycare, Amber, where you take your kids, those workers, the people that run those daycares, they need holidays, so they will shut down sometimes, sometimes uh, over the summer for a week or two, maybe even longer. Sometimes you have that same consideration an issue over Christmas break. Spring break can be an issue as well. And if you really only need part-time care, you need to still pay in a lot of cases for a full-time spot once your kids start going either to nursery school or to kindergarten in order to have a place for your kids to go before and after school. Right. Yeah. And it can be really difficult, especially if, you know, if, you know, I've heard from some parents about if your daycare worker is sick or something, and then you have to kind of last minute find a spot or find someone to take care of your kid. And if you don't have a lot of family and friends or a big network here, you know, a lot of parents I was speaking to said it can be really frustrating and difficult to kind of last minute find those solutions. So in terms of uh, a wait list, like if I want to get in on a daycare, uh, how long is the list? Yeah, well, there's 16,000. We couldn't get a number on how long it'll take to get through the list. It sounds like some daycares have their own separate list. And so um, I'm hearing some parents, you know, one woman said that she knows people who put their kids on the wait list before they were even born. And actually, one woman I spoke to had that same situation. She was pregnant and didn't even know the, the birthday or name or anything. And she put her kid on the list to hopefully find a spot. So it can be difficult. It's not really, there's not a set number of how long if you put your kid on today, when they'll actually get off the list. It sounds like there's kind of a few different ways you can get off that list. I just got to jump in here for a second. My, my eyes just fell out of my skull when you said that people are doing this before their children are even born. Greg's nodding. Is this what parents have mm-hmm. to do now? hundred uh, percent. Sun Valley School in our neighborhood, Loren, Maybe you have a testimony similar. When we called about before and after school care when the boys were four, thinking about them starting grade one, basically the woman that answered the phone laughed at us and said, uh, the waiting list is full. The waiting list for the waiting list is full. And essentially, if you wanted your kids to be on this waiting list, you should have called us four years ago. And that's just not for daycare. That's before and after school care based in the schools. McNabb? Well, that's, and you don't know this until you're in it, right? And suddenly you have your kids or you're pregnant and you're thinking, and you hear all these stories in the movies will sort of portray some sort of that fanatic mom, right? Who's signing her kids up for daycare while the child's in utero. But, but it's the truth. You really do have to do it this way. And Amber, that not only are spaces an issue, we know that now schools, if a new school goes up, they'll add a daycare to that school. So that helps with spaces, but it's still not meeting the need. And that's why you have the home daycares also stepping in to fill that gap. How do we compare when it comes to cost? We know that the space is a huge thing, but then if you do get in, how does Winnipeg fare compared to other cities? Right. Well, we're actually one of the lower cities. I think we're second lowest compared to the cities in uh, Quebec. But when uh, we got some numbers from the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives, they've kind of crunched the numbers because it can be kind of difficult when you're calculating, you know, those private or those non-for-profit options. But in Winnipeg, parents are paying about $450 every single month for childcare. That's per one child per month. Um, in other cities, like, for example, Vancouver, it's about $1,000. Edmonton, which is maybe more comparable, but it's still $835 there. Um, Health Halifax, $867 per month, but then in Montreal, it's the lowest at $175. So even though we are paying some of the lower rates, we're still hearing that that can still be a barrier for families, though.
All right, Global's Amber Magookan joining us live on 680 CJOB. Amber, thank you very much for this. And we're going to have more on daycare coming up at 9.35 on the subject of daycare investments. Which country, which province is doing it right? And the possible impact on Generation Squeeze. want to direct your attention to the 680 CJOB question of the day at cjob.com, which is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. There are thousands of names on Manitoba's daycare waiting list. Have you ever been on the list? And the answers are no. One parent stayed at home. And so far, that's the only vote because the, the vote just, the question of the day just went live about 10 minutes ago. So far, 100% say no, one parent stayed home. But you can also vote for yes for less than a year, yes for one to five years, or yes over five years. CJOB.com. And Loren, that's the question of the day because we've been talking a lot today about daycare. Yeah, and it comes up every election. We're in the midst of a provincial one, but you can bet when the federal campaign officially launches next month, we're going to hear some daycare promises too. And and the question from many people, including myself as a parent, is, well, what difference will this make down the road? Because I think there are very few moms and dads in Manitoba, and odds are even the rest of the country that can't relate to the idea of having your first child, you get ready to go back to work months later, and you can't find a daycare spot. And you spoke of that list. There's 16,000 Manitoba kids on a wait list for those licensed spots right now. Myself personally put our first child on that list, never got a phone call, had to go looking for other options. And it's been an issue that's been around for decades. It's a Manitoba problem. It's a Canadian problem. And our question for our next guest this morning is anyone, anywhere doing it right when it comes to daycare. Paul Kershaw is a professor at the University of British Columbia. He's also the founder and lead researcher at Generation Squeeze. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank this is a huge topic for so many of us. And I know when it comes to the question of who's doing it right, a lot of people might point to countries like France or places like Finland or Sweden. Can you tell us a bit about those models and perhaps the more important question, would that really work in Canada? Yeah, there are many details to those other country plans, but I think the key difference there is they don't make a really big distinction between starting in grade school and the years before that. And uh, as a result, it can be a much more seamless experience for families where moms and dads are sharing parental leave. There then are a sufficient number of regulated, high-quality childcare spaces into which their kids can go when they're, you know, from toddlers to preschoolers. And then they start into the preschool system, and it's reasonably seamless, and there are no major cost barriers, uh, nor are there any space gap barriers for the most part, especially in those Scandinavian countries. Is it perfect? No, I'm sure parents would be frustrated there with something, but they're the kinds of frustrations that parents in Canada would be desperate to enjoy. And I think that's the key thing, that in Canada, we absolutely could create a system that was much more seamless from leave to childcare into grade school, but we haven't yet made it a priority, and it's the prioritization piece that's so critical. Yeah, Paul, that whole idea of integrating uh, the daycare system uh, in quotation marks and the education system uh, was actually the difference for where my kids ended up going to school for the last eight years. Uh, just very quickly, the school where my boys ended up going offered full-day kindergarten, 
every other day as opposed to two or three hours in the morning or the afternoon, which is a, an absolute nightmare for people, families with two working parents. And then on the alternate days, the school actually provided daycare in the kindergarten class with the kindergarten teacher. You had to pay extra for that. But it was, in my mind, the absolutely perfect solution to this, uh, to this crisis for a lot of people. Yeah, we really do need to recognize that today and in Manitoba and in Canadian provinces across the country, the reality facing parents is fundamentally different than it was four decades ago. There's been two key trends that have really eroded the conditions under young people today when they're starting their families. Young people in Manitoba today, by comparison with four decades ago, earn thousands of dollars less for full-time work, while simultaneously home prices, average home prices in Manitoba, have nearly doubled after you adjust for inflation. And as a result, it takes so much more work time from adults to make our ends meet. And maybe some decades ago, families more often could get by with one breadwinner. But for reasons of both gender equality today and financial necessity, it's no longer really in reach. And yet we haven't compensated for that erosion under young people by building the more seamless child care and education system you just described. So I wonder then, when we look towards building that, uh, we talked about other countries. I know people also make point to Quebec, where there's a heavily subsidized daycare. I think it's $7 a day is the average for most parents or families. That's on the other extreme. And is there somewhere in the middle we can get to where it's actually affordable for taxpayers? Because one of the things we also always hear, Paul, is from those who don't have children or or have kids and, and don't think it should be a publicly funded system is that, you know, why should we be paying for someone else's childcare? So how do you balance all that and create a system that might work best for all? Yeah, well, uh, there's two answers to that. On the one hand, uh, we, we know that if we leave a generation of families squeezed um, financially uh, between this gap between earnings and home prices that, you know, then we're going to give rise to another generation of kids, many of whom are squeezed, and we squeeze them, they'll start in school in ways they're more likely to fail, go to jail, or wind up sick, all of which costs us more down the road. So it would just be way more preventative and way more cost efficient to get it right for families with young kids right away. The second thing is it's about priorities. I guarantee you, if you look in every one of the platforms that are on offer for uh, Manitobans in this election, you will see that all the parties are probably proposing uh, over the next years hundreds of additional millions of dollars into medical care. Now, medical care is an important issue. I happen to be a professor in the Faculty of Medicine at UBC. I know it's important, but I know, also know all the research shows that health doesn't start with medical care. Health starts where we're born, grow, live, work, and age. And those are the conditions that are shaped by what you earn and how much does it cost for housing, etc. And so we need to think about why are we directing disproportionately more and more tax dollars to medical care as opposed to thinking about more evenly distributing the existing tax dollars to new investments in things like childcare and medical Medical care. You know, Paul, when and you mentioned that wouldn't change the taxes. Yeah, and that whole idea of, of living uh, just in terms of geography, because that's one thing. If you you're mobile and you have uh, one or two vehicles in your home, it's a vastly different proposition. If you live in a neighborhood, we we can say probably all neighborhoods have a shortage of daycare spaces. But if you have to do any sort of traveling whatsoever without a vehicle in order to get your child into those daycare spaces, that makes it doubly, if not triply challenging. 
You're absolutely right. I mean, right now we have families squeezed for time, they're squeezed for money, and they're squeezed for services. And then when childcare comes in and it's not nearby and it's really expensive, uh, then you're just exacerbating all three of those squeezes. And so we just need to double down in, in Manitoba and across this country and say it's no longer appropriate for Canada to be ranked near the bottom of industrialized countries when it comes to investing in early childhood education and care. We just shouldn't want to have it that way. We should recognize it would make more sense for us to redistribute existing funding and or collect new tax dollars. It could be useful to do that too, um, to invest in a childcare system. One that recognizes childcare is not the only part of the solution. We also want to value parental time at home. So we should be improving and enriching our parental leave system. Paul Kershaw. Is of, a, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Loren. No, sorry. Brett. I was, what kind of conversation as parents do we need to have with ourselves, though, in the sense of the reality check? Because too often you hear parents complain about the cost. Uh, and then we hear on the other end, you know, daycare staff making $15 an hour in Manitoba. They have to have an education. And we have to have that balance somewhere in our heads where we say, I'm, I'm also willing to pay if I want it to be good in the sense of getting over the idea of, oh, it costs me too much, as opposed to putting the onus on it costs society too, too much. I think that's absolutely correct, and you do have childcare workers who are then at the epicenter of all these trade-offs, and we are actually asking them to, you know, provide this really important service that matters immensely for the education and health and well-being of kids and families for, like, parking lot attendant wages. And we need to introduce gender equality wages into the system. That will then attract more people that are actually trained to be in the system that can deliver better quality care. And um, we can't be wanting women, whether they're low-paid workers or uh, often unpaid workers at home, to be the linchpin right now in solving this problem because it, it, it just is not the solution. Paul Kershaw, professor at the University of British Columbia, also the founder and lead researcher of Generation Squeeze, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Paul, thank you very much for this. You're most welcome. Have a great day. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Cam Poitras is here, Jeff Fortier is here, and right now we want to go back to school in the lunch bag. Greg, who does the lunches in your abode? My wonderful wife. She does incredible magic. Uh, she told me in June that she did not send one sandwich to school last year. My kids don't really like sandwiches, so she gives them a little bit of a buffet of stuff, fruit, vegetables, protein, whatever it might be. And uh, I, I just, I really actually don't know how she does it every single day. It sucks the energy and the life out of her, but she finds a way to do it. <laughs> and so out of this group, the six people on this panel right now, only two have kids. Loren, uh, would you agree with that statement that it sucks the life and energy out? Yeah, at a certain point in the year, for sure. Or, you know, you get in and, and you, come, you come home and you're cleaning out their backpacks or seeing what's in there. And when they don't eat it, you know, you've gone through all this effort. Like I bought these specific containers where a sandwich or something else can go in one part. And then you can put veggies and dip in another. And then you have all these things and tricks that you think you're doing that's going to encourage them to get a good lunch, but also just eat it. <laughs> and then they don't and you're like come on man like i worked so hard and also aren't you starving like how did you make it through the day if you didn't touch this lunch so it can be super super frustrating but i also can remember the moment my mom said okay well now it's time for you guys to make your own lunch because we used to make so much fun of her for the way she'd put the lunch in the paper bag it would go like cookie at the bottom then the sandwich then she'd drop in a drink 
and an apple on top, so the heaviest stuff would just land <laughs> on the sandwich and cookie. So you'd have this like smush sandwich and a crumple cookie, and you're like, "Mom, what's the strategy here?" And next thing you know, she's like, "The strategy is you're making your own lunch tomorrow." <laughs> exactly. You got what you deserve. And you know what the strategy was, McNabb? She put it in there in the order that she thought you would consume the items. She was actually thinking about you. And uh, you know what? I would have made you do exactly the same thing. My mom used to say when uh, we used to make fun of her, "You'll miss us." She she would say, "You'll miss me." when I'm gone and that would be the end of the making yep. fun yeah. you know <laughs> she was right after all what of was your course. best best lunch uh, or worst lunch Braun I think I had peanut butter sandwich every single day until high school that was my main food period <laughs> for lunch and for supper the couch potatoes <laughs> and supper yeah because they'd always cook something that I would refuse to eat so oh, I was yeah, like just give me a peanut eater, butter sandwich <laughs> and I don't know what maybe a pudding cup or something I honestly couldn't or a, no like a little tin of Diced Del Monte pears or something like that. Well, I, I like think those, that would come with the, it. The peaches or the pears yeah. or whatever. Yeah, those are good. I seem to recall eating those. I honestly can't remember, though. I don't know how. <laughs> that's so long ago. Poitras? Uh, yeah, I don't know. My mom would make like chicken salad sandwich. I would always like that the most. She 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 made good lunches, my mom. I remember she she hated it more than anything. It was her most hated job uh, of all things was having to make lunch. I remember her telling me that because she'd do it before she went to bed, and she just dreaded having to do it every single day. So, Mom, if you're listening, thanks a lot for uh, making me lunch. What about your mom, Forte? Your mom's a sweetheart. I met her once. She came over. Um, was at a Super Lube, I think, doing a remote, and she came over and said, Are you Brett McGarry? I'm Jeff Aww. Forte's mom. Yeah. Isn't she still making your lunch, Jeff? <laughs> I so wish. I really do wish. No, actually. We my... told you not to move out, Jeff. I, I know. We I all know. told I you to stay listened. at home as I long as you can. I should have listened. Uh, no, uh, they used to, my parents used to, uh, you know, put a pizza pop in the microwave and then wrap it up in tinfoil and wrap it up in newspaper and send it to, to school. It was delicious. And still be warm at noon? Yeah. Oh. Or, or, oh, and something that really brings me back, and I don't know if you guys would know this, Cam probably would, but so delicious uh, candies. Oh, yeah. Those were so good. They don't mm. make them anymore. And your mom put those in your lunch? Yeah. Well, they were like um, like gummies. Yeah, I'm sure the teachers loved that. Yeah. The fact that the team of moms <laughs> and dads, we get notes uh, with regard to the treats at Halloween time, like, please do not send the treats with the kids for lunch. It, Why? It what, do, what do they care what your kids eat? Uh, because because the sugar crazy demons and none the of yes. their business. Sugar demons. Oh, it is. It is their business. <laughs> I free was always, world, free country. Come on. I was always jealous. What's the point of Halloween if you can't <laughs> eat the candy? Eat it at home. Not at school. <laughs> I used to uh, always be jealous of my buddy Todd Cuttington in in, uh, in Brandon because his mom would send him hot dogs for lunch mm. in a thermos and the bun and all I the condiments and the little thing. And yeah. it's like, oh, man, that looks so good. I loved it when my mom would do that. I put it <laughs> crammed in the thermos. <laughs> the bun was all messed up and stuff like that. But I, I loved it when she did that. Yeah, those were the best lunches. I, I think I need to get more. <laughs> I need to get more tricks then, I think, because I've tried to put hot things into the thermos and I get a lot of feedback that it's cold by what? lunch. So, yeah. I have a thermos right now. I don't have it here, but it works awesome. Like, ten, like for ten, soup and ten hours? Like, yeah, soup, 10 hours, I would say. My, wow. my Contigo cup keeps there. tea warm for all day. Yeah, thermoses are so much better now than, they, than they've than they ever been, yeah. right? Yeah. Loren, did you just say I want to put a grilled cheese in there? No, I did once. <laughs> I wrapped the grilled cheese in tinfoil and then I put it in the thermos for them and they still ate it. They were like, it was still good, Mom, but it was cold. So I was like, I'm always trying to figure out ways to make it better, but I also 
You buy your kids these things that they don't bring home. It's like, who has a full Tupperware drawer six days after you've bought Tupperware? I don't. But we want to start this half hour, Loren McNabb, with... A guest who is a a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan. Woohoo! Hooray for that. An Edmonton Oilers fan. <clears throat> I get it. I, I sort of get it. I no, no I don't. No. And he's also a huge fan of the Green Bay Packers. Jesse Martins actually wrote into us to say that his basement is painted green, green and gold. He's got Packers stuff throughout it. And tonight he will also be wearing those colors as the Green Bay Packers take on the Oakland Raiders right here in Winnipeg at IG Field. Jesse doesn't just have tickets, though. He's also got a big party planned. And to tell us all about it, he joins us now. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning. How are you guys? We're pretty good. I, I, I was sharing with everyone that we got a note from you about a half hour ago that you got about four hours of sleep last night. That's how, exci- that's how excited you are for this game? Yeah, I just, I've been really busy. Um, and just the whole entire, like, hoopla of everything and just the excitement, the aura of the feeling of, like, it's, you know, the one-time thing and the Packers are here. And if you're a Packers or an Oakland fan, you know, like, you're excited. This is the time to um, embrace what's coming to our city Um and just enjoy this entire thing. Because you know what? This is probably the last time it happens. And at being a Winnipegger, I mean, what's, what can't be more exciting than being a Packers fan and they're playing, or a Packers fan and they're playing right here in IGF. So. Yeah, to have your team that that lives so far away, and and to have a team. I mean, and obviously Green Bay isn't that far geographically speaking, nope. but getting a ticket to a Packers game can be a challenge. Finding a hotel, the logistics of going to a Green Bay Packers game in Green Bay is is absolutely crazy. I know people that do do it, but it is expensive. It's time consuming. Obviously, a dream to do that. Have you been to Lambeau Field, Jesse? You know, I have. Uh, 2013, uh, it was a dream of mine. I was like, you know what, I, to be honest, and I, I felt I was a big Packers fan then, and I was like, you know what, I want to go there and um, experience everything. Because, you know, to hear on TV, like, oh, the Bratwurst, and, you know, um, Madden would always talk about the aura of being at Lambeau Field and all this excitement. So I was like, you know what, since I'm such a big Packers fan, let's try this out. So I was, like, if people think the prices are outrageous here, Going to a regular season Lambeau Field game was crazy. It was $336 for end zone up high because you got to remember their entire stadium is sold out. So you can only buy resale tickets there, mm-hmm. right? So um, it's 84,000 people. And when they told me, oh, it's Ghost Town, they always say that on there. I'm like, oh, okay. Like everyone likes to say that. It's literally Ghost Town. <laughs> you know, it, nobody is on the streets. It was. Uh, a Thursday night game like today, it was the big 7.30 up. It was 12 o'clock. There was no one there. Nobody was. We drove to the same. They're all barbecuing. I'm like, I I just at the Bomber games for two hours. How do these people do this for like six hours? And these people are prepping me like in the hot tub at the hotel. Like, oh, this is like how we do it here. And I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. And yes, you can go there and get tickets, but it's expensive trip. So they, t- their hotels are $400. It's just crazy. So, Jesse, tell us about the party tonight. So, uh, tailgate today at 4 to 6 p.m. Um, we got a bunch of us that are always doing this for the Bombers. Uh, we enjoy ourselves with the blasting of our music. Um, I edit, basically, like, I'll edit a bunch of music for the Bombers, and then I put, like, our crowd chants, 
um, our crowd noise in there, and I just make it kind of like this fun excitement, get the hype going for our tailgaters, about 15 of us. And then um, I'm doing the same thing for the Packers. I got the Packer chant going in there. I got the Packer crowd. So we're just going to have a blast and, you know, have some beverages, barbecue, and be all in green and white and probably yellow a little bit too. And face paint, cheese heads. Oh, it's all coming. (laughs) I love it, Jesse. Great passion, man. Where did this come from? How, How did you become a Packers fan? You know, I've asked this before, and it's hard It's hard for me to say, but the only thing I could really recognize was in 1998, Brett Favre. And I think a lot of people my age could say the same thing. We grew up, they, they were always on TV, them and the Vikings. I know there's lots of Viking fans here in Winnipeg as well. And um, uh, Brett Favre, he truly made me a fan. And ever since then, it was like, okay, Packers. <laughs> It's amazing to go to Lambeau Field on a Saturday afternoon in the summertime and see the wedding parties that get their pictures taken with the statue of Vince Lombardi. Like, there's a lineup for it to happen on Saturdays. Jackie and I were there 15 years ago, roughly this week, and uh, we were there on a Saturday. It was quite the sight to see. Jesse, hope to bump into you tonight. Have a great time. This is an opportunity of a lifetime for you to have your team come to Winnipeg. Uh, Super happy for you, man. It truly is, and thanks so much, and um, go Pack, go. And Jesse, before we let you go, where do we find you? Where do we find this party? Lock Q. You'll see the big cheese. Uh, you guys, I bought a customized flag, and it's a cheese. It's like a big cheese with in Green Bay. You know, you have to do it the Packer way, right? So if you've missed that flag, well, then you haven't seen me. So Lock Q, right in the middle, you'll see the big cheese flag going, and it says Green Bay. So green and yellow. And before we let you go, why do you like the Oilers? <laughs> oh, okay. So here's the truth. Listen, 30 seconds. Yeah, years, 30 seconds. I was 10 years old, and I didn't. I really have like a love and passion. The Jets left. Guess what? The Oilers were on and went to go time. And I've been a fan ever since. And you know what? We haven't won a freaking Stanley Cup since 1990. Oh boy, Jesse, this no sleep thing is actually working for you. I think you got a lot of energy. I love it. Oh, thank you. All right, Jesse Martin. Thank you so much for joining us today on 680 CJOB. Jesse Martin, he is a huge fan of the Green Bay Packers big tailgate party tonight. For the game. We've been talking this morning about back to school lunches, Loren McNabb. How yours went growing up, but even now as a mom, mine goes something like this uh, maybe a bologna sandwich, maybe a cheese with sandwich, tuna sandwich. A lot of a whole lot of sandwiches going down in our lunch, and it won't be long, I can guarantee, before one of my kids is coming home and saying that they are so sick of sandwiches, which is why we've got our next guest in studio with us. Corby Sue Newman is the head chef at HelloFresh. She's also a recipe writer, radio host, and most importantly, probably for this chat at least, a mom of two kids. Thanks for being with us, Corby Sue. Hey, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Look, I absolutely get it. People see the chef jacket and they're like, oh, you know what you're doing. And I'm like, I'm a mom first. So I have been there and done that. I've got two teenagers I've been through it all, and I have seen the light. Now, I know at dinner time, what works for us is when we sit down on Sunday and we try and plan out the week and do the menu planning thing. It takes a lot of stress off in the evening because I'm home. I pick up the boys from school, bring them home, and then I, I typically get dinner started or make dinner all together. So there's nothing worse than scrambling, and I have to guess... 
because I don't do the lunches, but my wife does an amazing job with the lunches. Uh, planning ahead of time is key in terms of making this as stress-free, and stress-free is the wrong terminology unless you're using <laughs> the, the words as possible attached to stress-free. Absolutely. Listen, you are already well ahead of the game. You, you just quietly, you're happy in your marriage. Oh, a man who we, actually menu plans on a Sunday. We do our best. This doesn't is very happen. Exciting. Doesn't happen every week. <laughs> we are far from perfect. Look, jokes aside, that really is the the ticket. Plan ahead. Um, if you're not using a meal kit, know what your recipes are going to be. And as your kids get older, even when they're little, involve them in that conversation. Look at each meal as a journey. So are you going to do like a Greek souvlaki? Are you taking them to the Isles of Greece? Are we going to do a pork saute stir fry? You know, are we heading over to Asia? So that's how I really engage my kids early on because eating is not a spectator sport. You want everyone involved and it's never too early. Um, So get the kids involved in what do they like, write your shopping list, stick to it and prepare as much as you can. Right. Uh, if there are things that you can find that are pre-cut or do some, you know, pre-cut stuff for yourself at home, when you make dinner, are you making a little extra? Right. That's what you want to do. Yeah, we do that a lot. Exactly. We make that extra so it'll go into the next day. Yep. And the hot food is really nice for the kids, if especially if they have a school where they can warm it up. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you can wrap it up, heat it up in the morning, it might not be, you know, the way you would serve it at a restaurant, but it's warm and, 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 and it's uh, different than maybe just uh, bologna between two pieces of bread. Absolutely. And, and to Lauren's point, um, I had kids who very early on said to me, sandwiches are just not going to cut it for me, mom. You're feeding lots of people. You're a chef. Come on. Lift wow, your game. that challenged you. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's where my kids are right yeah. now. They're six and eight, and I was shocked because I felt like this is really early to be judging me right now. But, I know, exactly. But at, at the same time, one of my challenges, and we just started with the thermos last year, which you can put a lot of things in, I get, mm-hmm. but they're also at the age in their school where they're not allowed to use the microwave Exactly. Yet. And so I appreciate the idea of having leftovers, having that extra bit of extra food on your plate to save for the next day for lunches, but I'm still not sure what to do with it if they, their only tool is that thermos. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's what we do. Um, that fabulous pork stir fry from the night before, you pack it up and you assume that the kids are not going to be able to warm this up and you put in uh, another bag, some crisp iceberg um, leaves. So now what you do is they, they basically make a cup out of the lettuce and they put all the goodies in that and it's called a San Choy Bao. And their friends are looking at them saying, oh, my goodness. And they're going home to their parents saying, I don't want a sandwich. I want a San Choy Bao. So it's essentially a lettuce wrap. Yep, But exactly. instead of it being hot, it, it's it's cold. 100%. And so, you know, let's say we're doing Greek souvlaki. So instead of, again, assuming that they're going to be able to warm it up, get them to just do the chicken. Maybe there's some feta. Maybe you're throwing in some olives because you want to really expose their taste buds to some solid flavors. Uh, and a pita. Or... If they don't want to do a pita wrap, maybe what you're doing the night before is cutting up the pita into crisps, a little bit of oil, mm. maybe a little bit of you know salt and pepper, some oregano, put it in the oven. And so now they're having 
pita crisps with their Greek souvlaki. And maybe you're just putting that on a bit of salad. You know, you mentioned the whole idea of cutting things up in advance. I'm a fussy eater, but I love when um, when uh, Jackie will cut up all the red, orange, yellow peppers. <laughs> I will eat those as a snack. Yep. Uh, when the grapes are pulled off the exactly. stem, it's just a small thing and they're washed and the, and the strawberries are cut up into bite-sized pieces. I'm super fussy. But when she does those little things, I am far more inclined to eat those versus the good old fallback stuff, yep. the chips and the cookies and stuff that are already pre-packaged. Uh, nature does a pretty good job of packaging stuff. It sure stuff, does. Uh, but, but sometimes it needs a little bit of help, right? It does. So I actually do that twice a week. So we do it on a Sunday and we do it on a Wednesday. And the Wednesday is really just for a top up. So you, you've got everything from, you know, even green beans are like such a great snack. It doesn't have to just be carrots and celery. It could be cucumber, cauliflower, um, different dips, whether it's tzatziki, hummus. And what you do, my, my son, and he's 17 now, he calls it the all-you-can-eat buffet because I have grazers in my family, right? So grazers don't want the sandwich. They want a hit of protein. So is it cheese? Is it a pepperette? Is it um, some cooked chicken from the night before? Is it chickpeas? And then they want something, you know, some crunch. So, you know, I'll get them some, some crackers. Maybe it's a lavash, maybe, you know, fruity nutty. Um, and then some fresh fruit and vegetables, and they just put it in their own container and they can help themselves. And again, they're engaged. Well, why don't we continue our conversation in a moment? We have in studio with us Corby Sue Newman, head chef at HelloFresh. She's also a recipe writer and a mom of two kids. As we talk about back to school lunches, what did you call it? A, a sao choy? San choy bao. San choy bao. People are Googling it right now. <laughs> in studio with us, we have Corby Sue Newman. She is the head chef at HelloFresh. She is a recipe writer, and she is, most importantly for this chat, Loren McNabb, a mom of two kids, as we talk about back-to-school lunches. And we were talking earlier about, you know, ways to turn those meals into lunches the next day. And, Brett, you, you made a comment that was good in the sense of about how it sounds fancy. And I think that's the thing that people have a hard time wrapping their head around about the meal uh, being a simple lunch the next day when it starts off so fancy, like you were mentioning. And I've, I'm not going to say it right again. The lettuce wraps. <laughs> uh, Loren, I apologize because I didn't say your name right. So we're oh, even. Gosh. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Do not worry. San Choi Bao. And really, it's just a lettuce cup that you put all that goodness in. And you're right. And I'm sorry that I use such a fancy name, but actually the reason I'm doing it is to highlight that don't let a name throw you off. It's really just a simple application. That's all it is. Simple yeah. techniques in the kitchen. Yeah, because like when you talk about taking your kids to the Isles of Greece or off to Asia for lunch, it just it sounds very exotic, but it also sounds super ambitious. And when you're you got five minutes to slap something together, yeah, uh, I would imagine it's probably easier to say, "Here's a bag of zesty Doritos and uh, be on your way." <laughs> hey, listen, you can still have the zesty Doritos. Just balance it with something that's fresh as well. Again, I said to you before, you just want to involve your kids. And um, I think something that sometimes parents, we all fall into the trap of passing down our dislikes. So if there's a fruit or vegetable or a food that you don't necessarily love, I bet you're not bringing it into your home. You know what? Think outside the box, push your own boundaries, set a good role model. Even me as a chef, there are some flavors that I don't love. I'm going to say it live. I admit I'm not a big fan of melon. Okay. There, I said it. You, well, you feel better? 
I do. Half Thank the you. battle is admitting wow. it and saying it out loud. We were talking <laughs> off air uh, with regards, you said Oregano, and I'm like, Aussie mm, perhaps? Yes. Yeah, yes. born in Australia. So <laughs> that's why that came out the way it did. But this is great when we talk about our multicultural uh, Canada and this community that we live in. I don't know if you're familiar, Folklorama just uh, wound up a two-week festival of nations here in Can- in Winnipeg, and one of our listeners just texted in, and I think this is great. We started taking our kids to Folklorama when they were very young. So school youngs, uh, lunches have included sushi, samosas, butter chicken, souvlaki, and all kinds of different foods. Funny how some kids thought they were weird lunches when they had their go-to processed lunches. Lunchables in a box almost every day. And the Lunchables idea is a great idea, but you can replicate that with fresh fresh food and stuff that's from your kitchen versus from Oscar Mayer. Absolutely. And, you know, when you go to your grocery store, most big grocery stores have a deli counter. Take your kids. I know for parents, shopping can be a chore. I've been shopping for 20 years. I mean, 20 years plus. I actually get paid to do this. But take your kids and educate them. Share the language of food. Get them to the deli counter. Ask to have a taste of, you know, what's that salami? What's that cheese? And the kids all of a sudden feel different because they're making decisions, not um, not decisions being made for them, but they're part of that process. Pick the blue one or the red one. Yeah. When you can't get them to right? get dressed. Yeah. Every parent knows that trick, not what do you want to wear today. Would you, would you like this one or that one, and so which salami would you like today, which cheese would you like today, which cracker, all those things work. I've got this really odd tip I just quickly want to share. If you include a little bit of cinnamon or cumin, so cumin obviously for um, savory, and just going to uh, your listener's text where she was talking about different flavor profiles she shared with her children at a young age. So those two flavors, cinnamon and cumin, factor in a lot of those foods. If you expose your kids to that really early on, because we're born with more taste buds than we leave the planet with, if you expose them really early on, you're setting them up for great uh, eating practices in adulthood. All Is there these one... Res- Sorry, go Sorry, ahead. Just, we have 30 one, seconds. Yeah, one quick question. I, uh, things have come a long way since the paper bag lunches in terms of the tools. If there's one tool I should add... In terms of, you know, the container or the thermos that you think makes a big difference for parents when packing the lunch, what would it be? Um, I would say uh, a bento box. So you can find those in most stores. So really just um, a, a thoughtful container, whether it's made out of bamboo or recycled plastic that has compartments. All right, Corby Sue Newman, she is the head chef at HelloFresh, where you can find all the recipes at HelloFresh.ca. All these recipes are available there. She is a recipe writer and a mom of two. Thank you so much for visiting us, Corby Sue. What a delight to meet you. Happy to be here in Winnipeg. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.